hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. You know, I have to say that the independent media has been absolutely heroic throughout the course of the COVID-19 pandemic crisis. And in many ways, uh, they are the superheroes of the pandemic. We spent so much time on doctors, nurses, and others, but the media uh, really taking all of the risk with respect to their advertising, their contracts, their relationship to big tech. And at the forefront of this has been Epoch Times. I wanted to play uh, this interview largely in its entirety uh, that I had with my co-author, investigative true crime writer, John Leake, and Epoch Times lead correspondent, Roman Balmakoff, and this occurred in Dallas, Texas. Let's take a listen, stand up interview. Dr. McCullough and John Leake, thank you so much for joining us. So these are the co-authors of this book, new book right here, The Courage to Face COVID-19. It's, I believe, a bestseller now. It's hit multiple bestseller, multiple categories now on Amazon, viral diseases, communicable diseases, and John's expertise, true crime. Mm. So, so let me ask you, what, what do you think the implications of this are? Because you have the CDC and, and the multiple alphabet agencies spending I've heard estimates of up to billions of dollars on advertising their side of the story, their narrative, and, and some of their solutions uh, for the pandemic. But then your book comes out and it becomes a bestseller. So obviously something in here is resonating with people. What is it? Well, I think people have recognized at some intuitive level from the beginning of this thing that our federal agencies in Washington haven't been telling us the truth. I, there's just this perception that something is not adding up in all of this and what we document is actual constructive fraud fraudulent misrepresentation of the virus where it comes from to whom it's a threat and then this suppression of early treatment that dr. McCullough has been in the middle of I'll let him talk about that it's uh, you know it's clear that our intentions of saving lives and reducing hospitalizations were thwarted and they were thwarted by a complex, a biopharmaceutical complex, which includes our government agencies, our CDC, NIH, and FDA. They should have had all hands on deck, doctors like myself, to save lives, but instead, the flows of drugs were limited. Even a useful agents like monoclonal antibodies were hard to get. Drugs like Paxlovid, the most recent one, undermined. So we have a situation here, the only thing that our agencies really want to have happen is a needle in every arm. So some of the things you mentioned, I can imagine somebody chalking that up to incompetence. Let's say the monoclonal antibodies, you can say, well, that was a supply chain issue. They didn't know where it should go and when. Do you have any examples of, of let's say, actual either gross negligence or wherein someone maybe internally is saying one thing, but publicly they're saying the exact opposite? 
Well, I mean, the most notable example of the suppression of early treatment, and we document this in our book in the early days, was hydroxychloroquine. And what's fascinating is even the CDC, even a CDC researcher in 2005, when SARS emerged from China in 2003, they were actually discovering, including CDC researchers, that hydroxychloroquine had this antiviral and anti-inflammatory effect. There are multiple papers that were published about this in the academic literature. But then when SARS-CoV-2 emerges from China, they quickly establish that genetically it's a very similar virus. But all of this literature, all of the scientific research on these repurposed drugs like hydroxychloroquine, complete silence. And the French microbiologist Didier Raoul, a professor at Marseille, he was actively harassed, uh, censored, and ultimately he was dismissed from his position at the hospital. So you see from the outset a suppression. And this goes all the way up to even simple things like nasal hygiene which is, you know, goes back thousands of years. Even that, the FTC and the FDA have suppressed. I want to give an example of something that was very intentional and injurious to the population, remdesivir. Remdesivir was studied in randomized trials, the best ones done, and then the whole synthesis of the data done by the World Health Organization. And in November of 2020, the World Health Organization meets and has a critical con consensus conference with ethicists, critical care physicians, European Society of Critical Care, and they declare remdesivir should not be used to treat COVID-19 because it leads to greater numbers of deaths, kidney injury, and hepatic injury. What does the United States do? The uh, HHS, they put a 20% bonus on remdesivir if hospitals use it in the United States. The United States goes against the WHO and administers remdesivir as a frontline therapy leading to greater numbers of Americans dying in hospitals. It can't be any more clear than that. What was their front, their front end justification for doing that? The front end justification was this is the only in-hospital emergency use authorized drug we have and they simply were not going to pay attention to any data that was not going along with their narrative. And what the relationships were with Gilead, the NIH, uh, our director of the National Allergy Immunology uh, Infectious Disease Branch, HHS, that's for investigative journalists to uh, figure out. But I can tell you as a doctor, I use lots of drugs in the hospital. I've never had an antibiotic or an antiviral where the entire hospital stay would get a 20% bonus. Americans should be asking questions. What you just mentioned would be my next question because in theory at least, these alphabet agencies should have as their clients or as the people they serve, the people of, of this country, not the big pharmaceutical companies like Gilead, right? But it seems like if the WHO had this study sh showing that remdesivir is not a viable option in, in this particular use case, I just wonder why they would go so, so far against it to the point that it actually incentivized people to use it with a bonus. Yeah, this, this is the most astonishing. I mean, I understand why Dr. McCullough has mentioned this. It, it's just plainly astonishing to see the suppression of all of these repurposed medications that have been FDA approved for 60, 30, 40. I mean, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, they're both WHO essential medications. Remdesivir is this failed Ebola drug that Anthony Fauci at the NIAID had this interest in was distributing grant money to try and develop this thing. As Robert F. Kennedy Jr. states in his book, 
remdesivir was a drug looking for a pandemic. Um, and look, the, the, um, it's patented. So the hospitals, Gilead Sciences gets 3,000 bucks per treatment course. And then the hospitals get this 20% bonus on the entire hospital bill per the CARES Act of March 2020. So it's just out in the open corruption. And what I want to emphasize, and Dr. McCullough discovered, and I discovered this as we researched our book, it's all out in the open. I mean, it's not like these guys are meeting, you know, with drawn blinds in the back of an Italian restaurant in, in New York or something and kind of with cigars conspiring. No, it's all out in the open. The documents are published. The grants are video simulations of these pandemic planning seminars at Johns Hopkins in Georgetown in which they're openly discussing this. Another element that I will quickly mention is the enormously powerful role of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in funding and organizing these public-private partnerships for pandemic response. They've had an enormous hand in all of this, particularly a new institution that they founded in 2017 called CEPI, Center for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, expressly states in its preliminary business plan, which is published, anyone can see it, their pandemic response for the imminent pandemic that's coming. And the only thing in that business plan is vaccine development and deployment. There is not a single reference to treatment. So when SARS-CoV-2 emerges and comes to our shores, the SEMPI business plan was activated. It's all there. It's plainly out in the open. That actually would make sense in regards to what we saw with, with the advertising campaign that came out of the, uh, the FDA and the CDC, because I know that even after, let's say, a full year and a half of, of a multi-billion dollar ad campaign from the government, I know people that either contracted COVID after getting vaccinated or their family members contracted COVID after getting vaccinated, and they really did not even know what to do with them because it seemed like the government's position was, well, wait until it gets so bad that you have to go to the hospital and then you know they'll take care of you there. What do you think leads to that? Because in theory, again, maybe I'm too naive, but it feels like the, these alphabet agencies should be explaining to people how to stay healthy. Even let's say you get COVID, it's like, okay, well, these are the things you should do, even like get rest or something like that. But, but it's not like that. It's like, wait, hang around at home until you get it sick enough then go on a ventilator in the hospital that's what it seemed like it's inexplicable the agencies to this day still have not given america a care plan of what to do when they contract COVID 19. i can tell you the advertising campaign or the public health messaging campaign for the vaccine was built on three fraudulent false claims the first claim was that the vaccines were going to stop the infection and if you took the vaccine you couldn't get the infection our president said this. The major liberal media said this. People remember Rachel Maddow saying this on MSNBC. Uh, the second false claim, a fraudulent claim, is that it would block transmission. If you took it, you couldn't give it to anyone else. And that became so obviously not the case that our CDC director came out and said that and said, listen, it doesn't stop transmission. The final false and fraudulent claim is that the vaccines make it a milder illness that they reduce hospitalization and death. And I can tell you, in randomized clinical trials, in order to make that claim, a randomized trial would have to be done, and there's plenty of patients to do this, where the vaccine indeed reduced hospitalization and deaths. It hasn't been done, 
the signal hasn't even been there in the randomized trials where that's not a primary endpoint. And now we have data flooding in from Canada, Europe, South America, Israel, showing the vast majority of patients in the hospital are fully vaccinated. In fact, the unvaccinated are having much milder syndromes, not ending up in the hospital. I can tell you, this is a terrific interview. We've been listening to Roman Balmakov of Facts Matter with Epoch Times with myself and my co-author of Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalizations and Deaths While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. And that co-author is none other than true crime author, best-selling author, John Leake. Let's pick up on the other side of this interview. So you mentioned some of the um, some of the adverse reactions that are that are coming out of the different countries. And so tangentially to that, I wanted to ask you because I, I'm right now um, d- doing a deep dive into the VAR system because I want to put together a comprehensive uh, episode about it. And one thing that's really hard for me to kind of g- grasp my hand around is, is let's say currently there's about twenty nine thousand deaths listed for the COVID uh, uh, the COVID vaccines in the VAR system, at least officially. But there's like kind of two factors. One is there's an underreporting to the VAERS system. And and the second part is like most likely out of those 29,000, not all those are really related to the vaccine. So it's like, what is that ratio? What percentage of, of the overall does the 29,000 represent? Okay, so the vaccine averse event reporting system, what we know in a paper from Meisner and colleagues before COVID that uh, 86% of the time the VAERS report is made by a doctor, a nurse, or a healthcare professional. So that's serious, that I've done VAERS reports. I only do VAERS reports when I think the vaccine has caused the problem. By having a entry in VAERS, that's prima facie evidence that someone thinks the vaccine caused the problem. Now, VAERS includes the United States, Japan, Germany, and some other countries. So when we restrict it to U.S. residents, which can be done in the queries, and I'm an epidemiologist. I've done these queries myself. I'm qualified in doing it. We have about 13,000 Americans that have died after the vaccine. If we look at death alone, we must apply what's called the Bradford Hill criteria for causality. It's a formal assessment of course causality. The first question that we address is, is it biologically plausible? Well, the answer is yes. These are all genetic vaccines. They install the genetic code for the fatal Wuhan Institute of Virology spike protein. They have a dangerous mechanism of action. If one gets an installation of the genetic code too much in the wrong place at the wrong time for the wrong duration, it clearly can be fatal. And there are published papers in the medical literature saying it's fatal. So 100% we've got the dangerous mechanism of action. Temporal association is within VAERS. The vast majority of deaths occur shortly after taking the shot. Uh, uh, Internal consistency. Meaning, are there near misses, heart attacks, strokes that aren't fatal, that could have been fatal? Yes, plenty of them in VAERS. Is it externally consistent? Does it agree with the yellow card system, the EU UDRA system, the WHO VIGC system? Yes, they all agree. World Health Organization says that together there's over 40,000 deaths. Let me tell you, uh, World, the uh, World Council for Health basically uh, has outlined this in their June 11th pharmacovigilance report. They have said that you get to a handful of deaths, these should have been pulled off the market. Let's imagine you, we have a, a God's eye view and we know for sure there's 100,000 deaths. We just know that's the true number. What number would be reported in theirs? What's your opinion? The underreporting 
uh, and there's been a lot of stabs at this, can be uh, at the, on the high end, 100 to 1 underreported, down to you know 5 to 1 underreported. I can tell you in a paper from Columbia, the upper limit of the confidence interval of the number of Americans who have died after the vaccine through December was roughly 187,000 Americans. That is cohesive with the data we're getting from life insurance companies that are receiving record claims of people dying uh, for reasons that they haven't died from before. Most of the deaths are not explained. And when we hear a vignette of a young person who's died, it's typically a long history of cancer or congenital heart disease or um, uh, suicide or drug overdose or homicide. Uh, but these deaths that we see now, there's no cause. The only thing in the background is, did they take one of these vaccines? Wow. And, and there is something I'd like to add to that, which I think is has a kind of eerie, sinister quality to it. I'm Because of what we're doing, I'm frequently contacted by people, young people, maybe in their 30s, 40s, maybe 50 years old, who have been injured or their wife or husband has been injured. But what they're experiencing, and I'm hearing this story very frequently, is that their treating doctor is assuring them it's not the vaccine. So there is this distortion of perception where the medical doctor asserts his medical authority to assure them, you know, your 50-year-old husband, who's a almost a professional-level surfer who just had a massive heart attack, that had nothing to do with the vaccine that he got three weeks ago. And, and so this is this is happening. It's a distortion of of the citizens perception of what's going on. And I think this has great political significance. I mean, here we are at CPAC. The citizenry needs to be informed of what's going on, not actively deceived. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it seems like it's, it's not very scientific to right away come out with, hey, this is definitely not the vaccine. It almost seems like a PR. Like the doctor's in the position of being the PR for the vaccine company. It, it's even worse because we know now from the Pfizer documents that, uh, which is, you know, under court order released, Pfizer knew about 1,291 new adverse events of interest, new diseases, uh, if you will. And we have patients now developing lymphomatous reactions, various neurologic syndromes. And I can tell you, I see this in my practice where patients see doctor after doctor. The doctors tell the patients their condition is an enigma. They don't know what's caused it, but they're certain of one thing, it's not due to the vaccine. How can they be so certain it's not due to the vaccine without knowing what they have? Last question. So it seems like the phase of COVID is moving away. We'll probably live with the ramifications of everything that happened there, especially with a lot of the policies and what people accepted and then you know, the kind of further progression of, uh, of, our, of our rights and liberties. The new thing is monkeypox, of course. The national emergency was enacted nationwide just yesterday by the Biden administration. Uh, what's your opinion on that? We had a case of monkeypox at our center yesterday, and uh, it was a 41-year-old woman, advanced, untreated HIV. What we know now is that uh, over the course of decades, there's been a, about a thousand cases per year in the world coming out of the Congo Basin, spread from animals to human. Now there is human-to-human -human transfer, but it's well understood. Paper from by Thornhill and colleagues, New England Journal of Medicine, 98% of cases so far are among gay or bisexual men who are having sex, uh, men with men. 98.5% of the transmission is by intense sexual contact. 41% like this case have HIV. 
We've had no deaths in the United States. There's been about six deaths worldwide out of 16,000 cases. Uh, honestly, these numbers are, are similar to disseminated gonorrhea, sim similar to the current syphilis, uh, similar to other sexually transmitted diseases. No reason to call for a medical or national emergency. No reason to have massive purchases of vaccines. We have a very safe and effective drug, which we're using here in Dallas, called TPOX or Ticoviramat. It's very effective. The only reason why patients are hospitalized are for severe oral or anal pain. Otherwise, it's simply treated at home. It goes away. What's happened is this is being used as a tool for intentional fear-mongering and propagating this vaccine agenda. Remember, there hasn't been any emphasis on the drug, which is already available. The CDC has a national stockpile of it. All we hear about is vaccines. A vaccine, by the way, the Genios Bavarian Nordic vaccine, a live attenuated double-stranded DNA vaccine, has actually never proven to stop a case yet. It's only been approved based on antibody responses. And already, since it's been around for since 2018, we already have proven cases of heart damage with the new vaccine. So now we have young men getting this illness. We have an a, a available oral drug, no need for a vaccine. And now we have a vaccine that poses heart damage with no proven benefits. And here we go again. Is it difficult for a physician like yourself to actually speak out against the establishment, against the green? I heard there, there was a, uh, a case filed by the American Medical Board against you just la a, month, a month ago or a month and a half ago, right? So wh what kind of uh, pushback are you getting? Maybe not aside from the big tech pushback, which is kind of ubiquitous. What about from the medical community? I can tell you uh, myself and then the leading doctors who have been the front line in treating SARS-CoV-2 infection and COVID-19 almost all of us receive letters from our boards, family medicine, internal medicine, others, announcing potential disciplinary action against us. And I can tell you many of us, the reasons why this has come is because of our testimony under oath in the US or state senates, where under oath, we're giving our best appraisal of what's going on, we're answering questions. If anything should be immune from professional uh, damage and reprisal should be when we are called as citizens to give our analysis. And I can tell you, any doctor, nurse, patient, attorney, engineer now has been put on notice. We're under a dark, dark time of censorship, reprisal, and our civil liberties are being stripped from us very quickly. Yeah, I'll just conclude, Roman, by saying I think it's important for your, your viewers to understand that public health, particularly pandemic response, it's a sort of Trojan horse. This will sound rather grand, but it, I, I believe the evidence supports it. It's a Trojan horse for a centralized global governance of humanity, a sort of governance by self-appointed pharmaceutical, high-tech, this we call it the biopharmaceutical complex. It's these international foundations who formed public-private partnerships with treasuries. They have friends in all the central banks of the world. It's a mechanism whereby you declare an, a, a worldwide emergency, kind of analogous to the financial crisis of 08. Under the pressurized atmosphere of a world crisis, these guys present themselves as having the panacea. You guys, you dumbass foreign, I mean, leaders, heads of state, you're going to have to come talk to us in order to understand how to counter this. 
and you're going to have to give us a great deal of money. So you see the role of treasuries and central banks in flowing what's called pandemic response funds to these self-appointed leaders or purported leaders of public health response or pandemic response. It's very out in the open. Any informed citizen can read the documents and, and look at the evidence to support this proposition. And we're seeing it happening again now with monkeypox. If anybody wants to check out the book, we'll throw a link to it down into the description box below. Um, and best of luck to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. That was Roman Balmakoff on Facts Matter, Epoch Times. Dr. Peter McCullough, myself, and my co-author, John Leake of Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalizations and Deaths While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. You know, it's pretty rare that a recently released book and its authors get its own theme song. And our book has only been out 90 days, but legendary guitarist and uh, performer, Joseph Arthur, who's now hosting a show on TNT Radio Worldwide. He's got a huge following in Australia. Joe Arthur has come up with a song for us. Let's take a listen. My next guest is facing similar intimidation tactics in the medical realm where his license is being threatened, not because of his credentials. He is one of the best, most papered and celebrated doctors in the world, but because he is boldly speaking truth to power. It all relates. The message is clear, and it's one of intimidation to stop speaking the truth as you see it. It's to the real ones raging against the machine. It's to the real ones fighting to say what they mean. Dr. Peter McCullough true crime author John Leake wrote a book about courage to face COVID-19 Peter McCullough fighting to save our lives and yet they're trying to take away his rights Dr. Peter McCullough True crime author John Leake wrote a book about courage to face COVID-19. Wow, wow, wow. Remember, go to www.couragetofacecovid.com to learn more about the book. You'll read about myself and my co-author John Leake, who now you had a chance to hear on this uh, segment of the McCullough Report. John's a historian, he's a philosopher and an author, a tremendous resource who's joined the battle uh, for truth, to bring you truth and insight on what's going on in this tumultuous time in the world. Again, the title of the book is Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalizations and Deaths While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex by John Leake and Dr. Peter McCullough. Let's get real, let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is a McCullough Report. I can tell you every household, every bathroom, every public bathroom, 
has had its points where the air is heavy and you can smell that visceral smell uh, that we won't talk about with any more description. But I can tell you that microbes are in the air when you smell that. Microbes are in the air and some of them are infectious. One of the ones that recently was brought to mind is the Norwalk virus. That's the virus that's, that causes the diarrhea that spreads across cruise ships and other boats. And we've had this on a family vacation one time. And I tell you, it spreads in the air. So does Clostridium difficile and so do so, so many other pathogens. And your approach should be to have on hand the Genesis Fogger. There's nothing that sterilizes the air better and more completely across the range of bacterial, viral, and fungal microbes than the Genesis Fogger. It uses HOCl that is in a dry mist. Uh, it is perfectly safe. Uh, it has no harms or threats to uh, your pets, small children, elderly. And I'm telling you, for that bathroom smell and for heavy air in a room where you're taking care of someone sick, Genesis Fogger clearly, clearly needs to be in your home. So go to the America Out Loud website, look on the banner bar for the Genesis Fogger, and get a discount on your purchase of the Genesis Fogger unit, which is the base unit that actually creates the mist. And you'll be given several bottles of the solution to use. And you can always buy that to replenish and use. The Genesis Fogger is a durable household cleaning tool that's movable from room to room. And you'll find it as an invaluable way of keeping your household clean, safe, and sterile and uh, safe for everyone who comes to visit you and those who live in your home. So remember the Genesis Fogger, go to our website, America Out Loud Talk Radio, hit on the banner bar in order to get your discount on the purchase. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only 8 seconds. One second less than a goldfish. 
If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology, designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. You know, on the back side of the report this week, I wanted to dedicate it to a recent announcement by uh, CDC Director uh, Rochelle Walensky, who said that uh, commissioning an outside review has revealed that the CDC made multiple errors, giant errors with public health in pandemic response. And there were several critical interviews last week. The media cycle was popping. I was involved. Many others of you who have been interested in the topic have been engaged on this. So I wanted to play some of these full-length interviews. The first one was on Fox News, The Ingram Angle with Laura Ingram. And I'm joined by a professor of medicine at Stanford, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who's also one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, which was a guide on how we should have handled the pandemic from uh, a public health perspective. And uh, now that things are coming full circle and the CDC is capitulating on errors, let's take a listen. I think our public health infrastructure in the country was not up to the task of handling this pandemic. We made some pretty public mistakes and we need to own them. Ah, No big deal. That vague admission by the CDC director only two years too late after lockdowns destroyed the education of countless young people, after they trashed our economy, we saw drug, alcohol abuse, depression skyrocket. But as long as you make a vague admission, no problem. Now, to help Dr. Walensky out with her upcoming overhaul of the CDC, I phoned various members from the last two years of our medicine cabinet, and they came up with some useful reforms that she should put into place immediately. First and foremost, fire everybody at the top, including herself. Okay, next, only get funding for the CDC from Congress. No special interest money because they have a stake in all these policy debates. Give up all of their patents. Yes, the CDC owns patents. And you got to have complete data transparency. That's just a start. Joining me now, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, Stanford School of Medicine, as well as Dr. Peter McCullough, epidemiologist, author of The Courage to Face, COVID-19. Dr. B, let's start with you. Do you have any reforms to add to that list? I know it's a long list that we've all been compiling, but that's just a start. (laughs) I mean, I think for one, stop telling noble lies. Commit to never telling a lie, noble or otherwise, ever again. Do not use your power to manipulate human behavior. Just tell people the truth. Don't lie about natural immunity. Don't lie about whether the vaccine stops transmission. Don't lie about masks. Tell the absolute truth about all of these things based on what the science actually is saying. That would be a, that would be a really good reform, I think, to start with. Well, and I think that when we look at this, Dr. McCullough, and over the last few years, it really 
it's it's so overwhelmingly fraudulent what was done to the American people. You were at the receiving end of a lot of the campaigns of villainization, and it's still happening to many of the people that uh, you know all of us know uh, across the country, to doctors and healthcare professionals who are being harassed and penalized for being right, Dr. McCullough. It's true. Americans and physicians like myself have progressively lost their confidence in the multi-billion dollar agency. You know, from these uh, erratic yet dictatorial recommendations on contagion control, uh, vaccination, and the lack of not only data transparency, but data analyses. The CDC and FDA owed America a monthly data analysis on safety of the vaccines. They should have had external day safety monitoring boards in place. They should have external oversight in multiple aspects of the agency. And I completely agree. Everybody needs to go and we need to install regu regular and rigorous oversight from uh, Congress and the Senate. Now, Dr. Harvey Risch, who's uh, retiring from Yale this weekend, is a big party for him. I'm going to be phoning in because I can't actually go. But he had some interesting comments, uh, Dr. Bhattacharya, I'd like you to react to about the agency's internal review that Walensky is talking about. He says that she failed to address the industry subservience and epidemiologic incompetence of what's at the heart of all of this. Um, how could the CDC get so much science so wrong uh, with this lame apology, whatever this uh, qualifies as, Dr. McCullough? You know, I, I think a big problem was all the social distancing they were doing themselves. You know, they weren't meeting. They were trying to do work by WebEx for a couple of years. The CDC is full of wonderful and, and talented physician scientists, but they, they got into a direction that went horribly wrong. And I think we do need to do a, a deep postmortem on what happened with the agency. Well, they, they basically the new another report that just came out on August 19th, it basically implies that the mandates that they put out based on this two dose uh, you know, vaccine are, were useless, that the boosters themselves wane in efficacy over time. So there is a limited uh, value, limited duration value of all of this. But again, people are still following Dr. Bhattacharya, this original guidance on the vaccines as if they reduce transmission, but the CDC is implicitly admitting now that they don't stop transmission of the virus. That was the entire basis of the vaccine mandates, were they not? And still going on for the CMS and for uh, you know, healthcare facilities all over the United States and schools and colleges. Yeah, I mean, I think that the CDC has caused untold harm by basically forget, not actually acknowledging the scientific fact that the vaccine doesn't stop transmission. And you're absolutely right, Laura. It's the basis for all these mandates on which so many people have lost their jobs. Uh, it's cr absolutely destroyed confidence in uh, public health. And, and, uh, and I, you know, I think it's also had this knock-on consequence of reducing public trust in public and other vaccines, vaccines mm. that are actually quite important for public health. Uh, I think it's a, a complete disaster. It's not enough just to apologize or to, to no. acknowledge wrongdoing. It's just that there needs to be a, a fundamental overhaul. Well, Dr. McCullough, I mean, we have doctors, pediatricians still badgering parents every time you go in to get a checkup. Have you given your kid a vaccination? I mean, baby could be like six months old and they're pressuring these parents about these vaccinations still. I mean, that's border that's borderline malpractice, in my view. The, the doctors have clearly drunk the Kool-Aid. 
on the vaccines. I think the doctors actually are a big part of the problem of this, uh, this kind of negative legacy effect we've had on the failed vaccine program. Uh, doctors really need to come in line. The CDC has basically said a vaccinated person is completely indistinguishable from an unvaccinated person. Right. So, uh, we need to drop these mandates and do a thorough review of what's happened. Or, or, or ramp up the lawsuits. Okay, Dr. Bhattacharya, Dr. McCullough, two of my absolute favorites. Thank you. You know, there you can tell Laura Ingram is very frustrated and uh, she came out charging when the CDC announced these uh, changes. Uh, the news cycle uh, kept going. Uh, you know, a critical interview, uh, not necessarily related to the CDC, but um, related to the work of Senator Ron Johnson acknowledging vaccine injuries, hit the high wire. And Del Bigtree, who many of you know is a, is a media journalist and a, a man of tremendous standing in the independent media, went to Washington and spent some time with Senator Ron Johnson. Let's take a listen. Now here Johnson picks up with the issue of doctors, which I brought up. I do think doctors are pivotal in closing the crisis. Uh, There's so many doctors that have to, you know, do a lot to come back into uh, respect from, uh, from fellow physicians and from patients. They have not only failed in their duty to treat patients early, uh, in the course of illness to help them avoid hospitalization and death, uh, but they promoted the vaccines. They've pushed the vaccines, as Laura Ingram pointed out, and they've wholly subscribed to the vaccines uh, despite their failure and the dangers that have come out with the vaccine. And now Senator Ron Johnson reaches out uh, directly to physicians in this statement. You know, let me look right in the camera and make my appeal to doctors Please. because if you're a doctor and you are awakened to what's happened. If, if you know that it's wrong and it's not right, don't sit by the sidelines anymore. Don't let just Peter McCulloch and Dr. Malone and Pierre Corey and all, all these courageous doctors who have stepped forward to warn the public, they need help. We literally need thousands of doctors who are aware of the problem to join together there is safety in numbers, and be honest and truthful with the American public. I'm, I'm begging doctors, I'm begging nurses to come forward, join together as one massive group, and put an end to this insanity, and help restore yourselves to the position that I think you all thought you'd be in going through medical school and taking that Hippocratic Oath being loyal first to your patients and being the one to call the shots when it comes to how you care for your patients. I'm just, I'm begging doctors, you have to step up the plate. Wow, I thought that was really powerful from Ron Johnson. He was sitting with Del Bigtree. Go to the high wire to catch the whole interview. It's over an hour, uh, but it's, it's a very, very powerful interview that was done in the Senate chambers uh, of Senator Ron Johnson. I've been there myself now on several occasions as we've worked uh, together in pandemic response. No doubt about it, uh, the most activated person in Washington advocating for the patient, not only for early treatment, but also for safe and effective vaccination, uh, if indeed we could ever get there. I want to um, add on to this segment 
and let you know I had traveled to Los Angeles and I did that Fox uh, clip from the Los Angeles studios uh, there with the Fox crew. And then the next morning went right into an early morning interview on Wake Up America with Newsmax. And Newsmax is really coming along as an independent media station that is bringing America the truth. And it's so nice to have them join some selective anchors at Fox, not all of them, uh, but Newsmax, Fox in part, OAN, the Victory Channel, Real America's Voice. Uh, they're joining a growing list of U.S. major mainstream media stations that are bringing pandemic truth to Americans who have been waiting for this for so long. I join on this segment Amanda Brillhanty, you'll hear her voice, and Carl Higby, and we go over uh, initially our book, Courage to Face COVID-19, that I co-wrote with true crime author John Leake, and then we get into uh, this series of questions. You'll understand them because of the same questions that are on your mind, too. All right, folks, welcome back. Now, this is the CDC. We've been talking about these people for a while. They're ready to shake up amid obvious COVID mistakes. So our next guest was among the doctors ready to fight the virus in the early stages of the pandemic using science before the vaccine was available. We're going to welcome in that guest, the author of The Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex, Dr. Peter McCullough. Doctor, good morning. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. All right, let's start with this book because you were one of the first people who were like, guys, let's take a step back. Let's look at some data, you know, this pesky stuff we use in science and say, hold on, what you're doing doesn't make sense. You were criticized heavily for that. You know, I was, but we found it implausible that this virus was the first, you know, microbe that was un unassailable that we could always treat every infection to some degree. And when we saw large numbers of people being hospitalized and dying, uh, we couldn't sit on the sidelines. Myself and others worked uh, in groups all across the world to come up independently with ways of treating the patients early to avoid hospitalization and death. No drug was perfect, but we looked for signals of benefit and acceptable safety, used the drugs in combination and were successful. Early on, we could reduce about 85% of the hospitalizations and deaths. And now with all the drugs we have in combination, fortunately, Americans are not being hospitalized with COVID-19 and they're certainly not dying of the illness with COVID pneumonia. We now have very good approaches. It's key to treat patients in the first three days of the illness. What were those? The drugs initially, we relied on hydroxychloroquine, aspirin, corticosteroids, nutraceuticals, uh, particularly vitamin D, and, uh, and then later on through the program, we relied on monoclonal antibodies heavily, virucidal nasal washes, ivermectin, and then Paxlovid and molnipiravir, uh, inhaled steroids, again, oral steroids, colchicine. It all came together, about four to six drugs in combination. And when I review all the reports of people dying of COVID, it's sadly, it's because they didn't receive early treatment. And a lot of the treatments you're mentioning are things that were criticized very early on in the pandemic. When it comes to the CDC's response and what you're mentioning, you said 85% saw reduction. That's a huge amount. What could the CDC have done different? The CDC clearly should have convened groups of doctors and commissioned an early treatment panel. The only way to avoid a hospitalization is to do something before the hospital. The CDC should have made that very fundamental observation. 
that prevention of hospitalization and death in those who were acutely sick was the top priority. Instead, the CDC was perseverating over masking, lockdown, social distancing, and vaccines. None of those things helped the acutely sick patient. Yeah, that, that was the interesting thing. It was like there was no measurable data to show that the mass mandates worked. The vaccines clearly did not stop the spread of infection. They, in, in, in some cases, they reduced the uh, effects of the severity. But we're seeing people now like Joe Biden and Joe Biden and cabinet secretaries like the secretary of defense. They're like quadruple vaxxed and they're all getting covid now. So, like, obviously, it, it doesn't have the efficacy that they sold the American public on. And then you had people like yourself, also uh, Dr. Robert Malone, who's a colleague of yours, suing now the Washington Post for defamation because he said they offered misinformation about the vaccines um, and the Omicron variant. What are your thoughts on, on the fact that he's actually fighting back now? You know, he is, and I've joined a suit with him against Twitter. What we found is the media was complicit in propagating a false narrative, really propaganda, and it emanated out of the NIH, the CDC, and the FDA. But out of the uh, direction of the White House, too. In the White House, yeah, so Americans deserved the truth. And when they didn't get it, instead of our government agencies coming clean and saying that the science is evolving, the virus is mutating, instead they doubled and quadrupled down on a false narrative. Yeah. I don't think there's any issue with them coming out and saying that the virus has evolved, the recommendations are evolving, instead of what they, what we did see, which was them doubling down on efforts for what they were currently doing, that 11-day quarantine, masking, yeah. shutting down, keeping people inside. But then you see people like Rochelle Walensky, who has a new goal for the institution, wanting to reform it. After the original response, we also saw somebody else in the CDC say that they're in a stronger place, and that's why they're making these changes, even now suggesting taking three tests at home to confirm for sure that you are positive. What do you make of this, doctor? You know, I think confirmatory testing, given the importance of the diagnosis, should have always been done. PCR should have always been confirmed with antigen and vice versa. You know, the CDC recommendations on using PCR at a low cycle threshold, less than 28, should have been followed. So not all the things the CDC did was bad, but the CDC traditionally is outbreak investigation, in vitro diagnostics, and data analytics. The CDC has never been positioned to make broad, sweeping dictatorial recommendations for the nation and what we found out is it was disaster yeah yeah i mean it's crazy to me but they got to do something because people like me like again pretty average guy is like the cdc tells me to do something i'm probably gonna tell them to pound sand at this point so <laughs> yeah so i that that to me is is probably the most important thing that you can you can take away from this so doctor before we let you go we do want to ask are we going to see a new variant emerge in fall and should we be concerned you know, the virus is still finding pockets of susceptibility. I think there still are susceptible populations out there across the globe. So I anticipate we will see more variants. Most Americans now have been through it. And so there is an umbrella of immunity that basically protects one from having hospitalization and death. So I think anybody who's had the illness now, a subsequent illness is indistinguishable from the common cold, and they can rest assured that their natural immunity will protect them. Yeah, Dr. Uh, McCullough, always a pleasure, sir. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. All right, great new book, too. Pick it up if you can. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. we got plenty more to come on Week of America Weekend.
That was Amanda Berlhanti and Carl Higby of Newsmax Wake Up America. It's an early morning program on the weekends, but I think they're really doing a fine job, and I'm sure you'd agree with me, on being fair, balanced, and trying to bring the message forward. I think we're making progress in the United States, but I hear from my colleagues in Europe, uh, especially in those in Australia, still feeling like the, the major media will not give any fair balance to pandemic response and information uh, in some future podcasts I'm reaching out to some absolutely key people in the United Kingdom and elsewhere to try to bring us up to date on where we are with this pandemic and why we can't break through the media. Why is the media so complicit in this propagation of a false narrative? Uh, everyone knows at this point in time, we're beyond lockdown, social distancing, masks, and waiting for a vaccine, that we have to move on. Uh, the world is, keeps turning and we have to return to normal, treat the remaining cases, and get to really the end of the pandemic. I think all the people in my circles wanna see that happen. Now, our music segment this week has been sent in by Dennis of uh, Carruthers Parkway, and it's a song for the Tennessee families out there. It's had so many views on YouTube. Dennis was really proud of the progress that this song has made. It'll exhilarate anybody as we move into our end of the summer holiday, certainly in the United States. Again, this is Carruthers Parkway, and the title of the song is God Save America. Let's take a listen. Knew the key to keep 
Dennis from Carruthers Parkway. You got to see that video. Uh, that was a little 12-year-old kid playing that final uh, lick on the guitar that you heard. It's a great video. Uh, it's a lot of Americana, heartwarming, bringing us back as we head into Labor Day. We're near the end of the summer. Uh, the days are growing shorter. And uh, in many ways, at the last week or so, I brought you up to date on the key interviews and the breaking news. Uh, hopefully is a time where the tide is turning in the pandemic. And with the CDC, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, admitting basically a colossal epic failure in pandemic response. And a lot of commentary that I'm getting, but also others, uh, Jay Bhattachara, Harvey Risch, you heard them say, listen, you guys were right from the very beginning. Uh, to hear those words after you know going on three long, hard years of being stripped of credentials and the reprisal that we faced, uh, you know, was uh, warming to hear. It gave some solace. We know that our job is not done, but hopefully we're moving on the right track. So with that, uh, we'll conclude the McCullough Report for this week, and we'll see you back next week on The Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.